Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Hi, welcome back to Euronet Plus Panorama. In the words of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, speaking as COP27 got underway last week, the world is on the highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. So does anything look different after Sharm el-Sheikh? Tuesday the 15th of November was a momentous day, but not in a good way. According to the latest UN data, this was the day the world's population reached 8 billion. Staggeringly, we are now on track to hit 9 billion within as little as 15 years, with the average age of the population steadily rising. Tallinn University anthropologist Yunus Plan looked even further afield in a conversation with Cuckoo Radio this week. Stressing that no forecasts are set in stone, he cautions that the reality may end up being even worse than predicted. The UN forecast that we would reach 8 billion by 2025, and here we are, three years early, and it has come true. So, none of these further forecasts will be totally accurate either. Optimistic forecasts say we will hit the threshold somewhere around the 9 billion mark, and that we will stop there, not because we're bumping up against the limits of the planet, but because by then the planet's population will be sufficiently educated, we will be doing well enough. The pessimists say that this will not happen so quickly. They predict that by the year 2100 there will already be 11 or 12 billion of us. And honestly, I can't see how planet Earth can cope with 11 or 12 billion people. With the additional strain that all these extra bodies will place upon our planet, how can we possibly weather this storm? In his speech to delegates at the COP27 climate conference in Egypt, Poland's head of state, Andrzej Duda, insisted that our only hope of achieving real progress on our climate goals lies in throwing our collective weight behind climate research and development and, by so doing, achieving energy security. Polsky Radio shares his call to action. Today we need solidarity and concerted global action as much as ever. We need to work out innovative solutions that will ensure energy security and climate protection. One switch through research and development will bring about a technological lab towards a low carbon transition. This concerted global action is what the great and the good have been trying to achieve at the latest COP tete-a-tete, although the second week of the meeting has not brought any major announcements. One key issue that has featured highly on this year's agenda is so-called loss and damage, a subject that was also pushed at the G20 summit in Bali on Tuesday and Wednesday. The question, more specifically, is how best to compensate the most vulnerable countries for the irreversible effects of climate change and support them going forward. Prior to the conference in Egypt, the European Parliament passed a resolution recalling that the EU is the largest global contributor of climate finance and urging all developed nations to ensure they meet their commitments in this regard. This year, Wallonia, Belgium's French-speaking region, has alone contributed a million euros to this end. In 2023, it's to offer double. While Philippe Henry, Wallonia's climate minister, acknowledges that in financial terms this is a drop in the ocean, he stresses the symbolic importance of the gesture, which will set an example for other developed nations and regions to follow. 
Henri tells our Belgian partner station, RTBF, that the money will go towards projects that ease the impact of climate change on those countries most directly affected and help them adapt to their new reality. It might be projects that will support the move toward renewable energies. It might be projects that will help put in place the necessary protection, for example, flood protection. Different countries are in completely different situations, but we are going to target the countries that are most affected, the biggest victims of climate change, because they're asking us for a clear signal that we're going to take their situation into account so that they can also commit themselves on a global scale to our global objective. Compensation is, of course, all well and good. But the most important contribution developed nations can make to safeguard the world as a whole is to stop emitting greenhouse gases. With this in mind, Odrone Teleschiene, professor of sociology at Lithuania's Kaunas University of Technology, tells Giniu Radias why she believes the EU is the global leader in fighting climate change. The EU has made one of the biggest commitments to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The goals are ambitious. Europe has announced that it will become a climate-neutral continent by 2050 and that we will stop producing cars with internal combustion engines by 2035. We are also talking about restricting cars in city centres, the green transformation of the energy sector and many other projects. The European Union is increasing its ambitions. This is evident at the United Nations Conference, where the EU has once again stepped up its ambitions for reducing these climate-damaging emissions. While it is widely accepted that developing nations are the ones facing the most devastating effects of climate change, Dr. Teleschiene notes that the rising temperatures will in fact be most evident in Europe. Looking at further commitments, it is clear that we will not be able to meet the 1.5 degree limitation commitment that we signed up to in Paris. The climate will warm by an average of 2.5 degrees, in some regions by 4 degrees or more. This warming will be most pronounced in Europe. If 1 to 4 degrees doesn't seem like much in everyday life, it actually upsets and realigns the climate system. We are seeing droughts, more intense storms, bigger and more frequent floods, and other such things that directly affect each and every one of us. It therefore came as something of a relief to European negotiators when the G20, which includes the biggest emitters, the US and China, and represents three-quarters of global emissions, acknowledged on Wednesday that there was a clear need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees and pledged to strive to meet this goal. Of course, actions speak louder than words. And for the time being, the powers that be, both at the G20 and COP, are mainly dealing in the latter. In other related news, the EU's controversial Energy Charter Treaty, which dates from the end of the Cold War, continues to lose support. The treaty was originally designed to promote energy security. In other words, to protect Western investments in the fossil fuel sector from being threatened by the former Eastern Bloc. The European Commission has drafted a reform of the treaty, attempting to reflect today's reality, including the need to reduce our dependency on fossil fuels. But a majority of member states must back its proposal. 
Despite lengthy discussions, the Brussels executive has so far failed to secure this majority. Instead, a number of EU member states, including Italy, France, Poland, Spain, the Netherlands and Slovenia, have already withdrawn or announced their intention to withdraw from the treaty. Last Friday, the 11th of November, Germany followed suit, dealing a major blow to Brussels. Cédric Reichel, from the Luxembourgish NGO Action Solidarité Tiers Monde, tells 100.7 why Luxembourg should also be withdrawing from the treaty. This contract is a dinosaur. It cannot survive. Something that was already antique has been modernized, and this begs the question, why are we going to reform something that we even admit ourselves is no longer relevant? This is a contract from the 90s. You cannot compare the situation then with today. This is recognized by many governments who say that the parameters have changed. Such a treaty no longer works today. RTBF reports that Belgium's federal climate minister is also in favor of pulling the plug on the treaty. Zakia Katabi is quoted as saying that despite its update, the treaty still clearly undermines Belgian and European climate ambitions. The next meeting on the subject is scheduled for the 22nd and the 23rd of November. And finally, Bulgaria has applied to host next year's UN Climate Conference. President Rumen Radev presented the country's candidacy during COP27. He told Bulgarian National Radio what lay behind this move and what benefits it would bring to Bulgaria. To really show that we have serious ambitions in this area and offer serious opportunities. With the stable geopolitical positioning of the country, this will have an enormous impact on the economy and on our social system. Just imagine what this will mean for tourism, for transport, for communications and the media, for agriculture, for food processing and for many, many other sectors of our economy. Radev also hopes to position Bulgaria as a regional leader in the production of green hydrogen, reports BNR. So that's all for this week. Do come back next week for more news from around the Euronet Plus network. Mm-hmm.